Well, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is the Plan Y podcast. My name is Taryn. And my name is Hannah. And Hannah, what have we got going on today? Well, today's guest is a very good friend of mine. We met in 2019 in Byron and he is literally the embodiment of creating his dream life and following his heart. He is one of the kindest person I know, and he was just like you, born and raised in England. A small mm. fun fact, he actually started going to college the year I was born, and just like you, Tyron, as well, his first big travels went to the States where he got the travel book. In 1999, he started a job in North Fork in electronics, and as the year passed by, he found his love for Australia and applied even for a permanent visa there. He then moved there and worked in electronics for a while, and in 2016, he went to his first alternative parties in Sydney and as well to Confest, which is a festival in Australia over Eastern, similar to Burning Man, and it was a life-changing experience for him. Um, I'm pretty sure we will talk about that later. He um, figured out after a while that he's not so passionate about his job, even if he was good in it, and did a reflexology course. And I can guarantee you that he's really good in it. Back in 2019, when we met actually at the Arts Factory in Bombay, he started painting nails for backpackers. And yeah, this is how his story goes. We both went then back to Europe and met each other on Brighton Pride, where I saw you, Taryn, as well. You actually mm -hmm. never met in person, but now today. He's currently working in Australia as well and doing massage jobs and as well doing a course, a massage course. And it's just like been so incredible to see in the past two years how he's actually flourishing and living his dream life. And I just remember as if it was yesterday when we were sitting at the beach in Byron Bay and talking about what he wants in his life and talking about his dream. And now he's actually living it and changing people's life to the better. And the only thing missing now is a partner, but I'm sure that an incredible woman will come along at some day. So I talk now enough. Welcome everyone. Mark. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Nice to uh, nice to be, be invited on here for you guys. Nice to meet you. So how's it hearing your life story fed back to you? Very good, very good. I've I've kind of thought it in my own head many times, but yeah, it's um, still nice to hear it from somebody else. And um, yeah, hopefully <laughs> I can uh, elaborate and fill in some gaps and the crazy twists yeah. and turns on that journey for you guys. We can't so. wait to hear it. <laughs> so let, let's start at the very beginning. How did you first get into travel, Mark? Well, I really only had one holiday before well, I was a child, um, like abroad, okay. which was in 1981, uh, where I went to California. Oh, nice. Because uh, my, my parents lived there before I was born for five years. Okay. And so they already, had, they already had some friends over there. So we, we went across and um, we'd sold a house in Essex, or, or about to at that time was something like that and we yeah we all went across and um had a nice time aunts uncles grandparents and we all had a big long six-week break and then came back i can just about remember it i was only five my sister was a baby and then and that was it and pretty much every year after that um i didn't we couldn't really afford to go abroad on holiday so we just used to go down to my grandmother's boat on the river thames there Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is actually one of the old Dunkirk boats from the war. No wow. way. The old trips, yeah. Wow. So, 
Yeah, so um, like real old antique vessels. So yeah, we used to just stay on that really with bunk beds and that was pretty much our holidays or just a holiday in Norfolk at the beach. Uh, and it wasn't until I was 21 that my parents said, what do you want to do for your 21st birthday? And I just half jokingly said, oh, I'd love to go to America. And they took it completely seriously and went about planning it. Amazing. And, and found some cheap flight tickets from a, a well-known news, British newspaper. And then, we, uh, <laughs> and then by, by February, it was all being booked and arranged. And I was just, oh, wow. I was quite surprised at that. Um, yeah, and it was a kind of a whistle-stop adventure more than a holiday. Um, my aunt and uncle went because it was their 60th birthday. It was my 21st that year, which is 1997. And, and it, was, it was great. You could literally probably turn that trip into a, into a movie. Um, that sounds awesome. I guess there'd be elements of planes, trains and automobiles. With, uh, <laughs> Martin and John Candy. And, um, and it, was, it was great because I saw 23 states. Flew to New York, drove to California, and had some amazing wow. in, in between, meeting the locals and various states, and seeing the real America rather than the tourist parts, which was really, really nice. That's amazing. So which, yeah. did you go the north way or the south way, or like through the centre? Um, kind of centre-south. We, we went from New York through New Jersey, uh, down into Virginia, Tennessee, nice. Arkansas and te Texas, and um, we did it as... A cheap way instead of renting a car, we did um, like uh, car relocation, like a driveway. Okay. So we, like, so we moved um, the car on behalf of the business person, so they flew somewhere and wanted their car taken somewhere, and mum and dad arranged all that. So yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I still couldn't drive at that point, so I couldn't quite uh, be part of it. <laughs> but it was still, uh, <laughs> but it was it was still amazing and. And uh, it was it was just a lovely adventure, and and then we eventually got to California. Saw mum and dad's friends, who I still remember seeing in 1981 when I was only five, which was great. I still remember the smell of their house, which was quite wow. Amazing. That's and, mad. Yeah, and and we hopefully a nice smell. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like... <laughs> and uh, and, we, and then on the way back, we popped into Vegas, although I couldn't gamble because it was literally just two weeks before my 21st birthday. Oh no. But I mean, I I, mm. I wasn't. Uh, I'm, I'm still not a gambling type, and I didn't really no. drink then anyway. So, so. I'm a late bloomer, bloomer in that respect. So um, oh. so yeah, we just had adventure and adventure, and then came back. Um, four different cars. It all just kind of worked out mm. um, magically on time. You know, we just um, four different cars, and we dropped them off at the city just at the right time, and That's they insane. were happy. We were happy, and it all just it was all meant to be. It was a bit of a crazy adventure. But it was it was great fun. Now we can all look back on it with fondness and laugh. Without times it was a little bit hectic and stressful. But it was yeah, it was great. And it wasn't until I got home from England, sort of back to England, that I realised what effect it had on me. And I just basically couldn't stop talking about it and <laughs> comparing everything basically in life to America. From England, yeah, what's the difference to this? What's the difference here? What's the difference mm. there? For sure. And driving every, well, certainly my parents crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, and that was it. And I thought that there was something sowed inside me, some seed sown inside me at that point where I just knew 
that I don't know something just something has changed. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I get that. I think yeah, I think everyone experiences that at some point who gets the sort of travel bug. Um, going back to a few yeah. things that you said, um, obviously you went all the way down with your parents. Did you have any? Um, obviously you experienced the non-tourist side of America. Um, how did you find the people? How did you find your experiences? Do you have any um, either wild or like stories, anything like that? Anything that really shocked you at the time? Um, my first impression was just pretty much straight away. It was a very, very, a sense of just very laid back, a very relaxed, very warm environment. Mm. Um, very hospitable, very, very laid back, uh, once we got out of New York. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and it was, and it, yeah, nothing I'd experienced before. I think it was, um, I was just open-minded. I didn't really know what to expect, really, coming from the UK. I, I knew it was, you know, you'd see the films in America, but unless you just feel the atmosphere and just soak it up, you never quite realise. And, um, and certainly once we ventured further south into the... Um, even the southwest, you know, once we got down into Virginia and that, started realising that um, a lot of the kind of images portrayed in the UK that um, that it's all kind of mad brain and loud and aggressive and you know it was it was for me it was the complete opposite. You know, they they couldn't be more laid back and quite hospitable and friendly and welcoming. I thought um, at that point, I thought, wow, this is, um, this is lovely. This is pretty amazing to live here. I was already starting to think that. And, <laughs> and as, as we carried on through Tennessee, it was just a lovely family feel. You know, there was there was restaurants everywhere that were just privately run, and you could see it was just the, the parents, the grandparents, and the, even the children working there, and everyone everyone used to go out as a family, and it was... There was there was no aggression. There was no angst. There was no. It was all just very humble, respectful, polite, and you know, holding the door open for you. There you go, sir. There you go, ma'am. And I think, wow, oh, this, 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 this is lovely. Mm. <laughs> that well, Americans are always. I've always found that are usually very polite, very friendly, very um. It, there was a saying that when um, I used to go traveling that if you would be sat in a bar in America by yourself, you wouldn't because the person next to you would go, hey there, how are you doing? <laughs> like, and I think it was always, especially coming from England, it's a bit strange because if someone said that to you and like, um, by like here, <laughs> you'd be like, yes. who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> and not just, not just in cities, but even in rural areas in the UK, it was the same. That was the difference. I mean, I know in the big cities in America um, that it's like the world cities that it's still probably similar that you wouldn't talk to a stranger on the street and you wouldn't necessarily smile or say hello. Yeah. But, but in England, that doesn't even often happen even in the smaller towns. I mean, maybe in a very small village or hamlet where everyone knows everyone, it might might do. But even then, you'd probably have to live there a few years before you yeah, for be sure. accepted, accept, accepted enough for that. Like you say, in the states, you weren't anywhere very long before someone started chatting, and and it and it and it was gen it was just genuinely to just be friendly. It wasn't because they were after money or sex or a job or 
or doing George. it for a dare, or, or doing it for a dare, or doing, <laughs> it to wind, or doing it to wind you up, or you know, trying to lure you into a trap. It was just genuine, which was really nice. <laughs> uh, from the Americans I met as well, they're usually quite curious. They just genuinely want to know about yeah. other things. Um, and they're and quite open as well. Like yeah, in general, like if you ask them yeah. something, they are just talking about it, no matter what the topic is. Like Germans, yeah. for example, know that we don't talk about politics or religion when they are really open in talking about that and kind of let yeah. everyone in but uh yeah the only thing i was thinking of was whether we would stop at uh, nashville down the great grand old opry but uh, oh yeah but, did you but but we didn't it was it was such a whistle stop tour it was literally a few minutes or a few hours at the most anywhere and and, and then we were heading on because we had a strict itinerary to keep with these cars so um yeah i bet but uh, but it was it was just kind of a taster really, which is in uh, in the long term is is what it became. It was a taster to to then next time okay right next time we'll go back there and spend longer, mm. which was which was which was perfect really. And um, and the food wow that was that was another um, another nice pleasant surprise as well. <laughs> I mean, but, I can just repeat it again and again. England is not very known for good food. <laughs> Maybe to you, but I think England's food's amazing. Beans on toast is the single best dish in the oh, entire world and I will hear nothing else. Um, yeah. the only, I like the American food. The only thing is I found there's a lot of corn syrup in everything. Like everything has corn syrup in it. Things that wouldn't need cheese. corn syrup. Everything mm. melted cheese on everything. If it's out, <laughs> melted cheese on it. Cereal, melted cheese. But America is also not known for healthy food, right? No, no, but then neither is England, to be fair, either. Yeah. No, it was. I think it was more portion size. It was a bit of a yeah, an eye opener as well. Like thirty-two know, ounce cups. Yeah, which were constantly oh. refilled while you were sitting there, but no extra charge. <laughs> but they obviously do like a you know expect a bit of a tip after, but. But yeah, even the starter was probably bigger than most main courses I'd ever seen in England, even just the salad. <laughs> so <the> true. <laughs> then we all, I kind of looked at everyone and thought, oh, what's coming next? <laughs> but they're quite nice and they're, they're quite understanding. They do give you a little um, a box, which is like a doggy bag to take away with you. If you can't eat it all, they're, they're all prepared <laughs> for that. So uh, for us tourists with smaller stomachs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and But I, I never actually... Did I managed to eat it all despite being a little guy off the hollow legs? <laughs> <laughs> and then you obviously went to um, Las Vegas as well, which is one of my favourite places in the entire world. For my mum's birthday, I went to Las Vegas when I was 15 years old, obviously far too young to enjoy any of the adult Las Vegas. Um, but it was probably the most transformative journey of my whole life because. Um, I watched the World Flair Bartending Championships, which happened to be on um, at the hotel next to us, um, and decided I wanted to own beach clubs, and it's pretty much shaped my entire life since that one. And I um, found oh, wow. Las Vegas to be one of the most magical. It's completely fake, obviously, but like for me, one of the most magical places in the whole world. And it sounds like you got a bit of that as well. Um, yeah, even then, although I couldn't really sample any of it, I still realised that it was probably one of the, the world's true playgrounds for adults really mm. where you can just basically forget about everything leave everything behind and it's particularly because it's location as well i think even emphasizes that it's literally an oasis in the desert yeah and it's a long way from anywhere else and you just go there and you when you enter the town at night which we did usually 
Oh, amazing. On, on I-15, you know, you descend from a high altitude and you can see those lights glistening on the horizon. It's like a little oasis, like a circle of lights and a hive of activity. And, you just, and you, I just knew then, I thought we're heading into something quite unique here. And it, and it was. And, but until you get there, you can't quite comprehend the scale of the place. Yeah. You look, you look across the road, as I'm sure you remember, and you think, oh, that's only, uh, that's only a couple of minutes walk. I just walk <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, you're still walking. You think, well, it's still not there. It still looks like <laughs> but, but the, 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 the scale of the place and the size of the buildings and is uh, quite hard to comprehend. It's <laughs> insane. You could walk through like one single casino for half an hour without like any problem. Still oh, you can even line. get lost yeah. there, right? Oh, yeah, easily. Easily. I, I did love how it was very upfront and straightforward though. So when you was playing for a particular prize, you could visibly see what you were paying, what you were playing for. There yeah, might be a, a, a Dodge Viper or, or a Chevy Corvette sitting literally on a platform right in the front. And as you walked in the door, there may have been $100,000 or a million dollars in notes in a pile on a pallet in the doorway as you walked in, well, there's the prize. You can physically see it sitting there. Wow. Which That's I think very is cool. good. It's very good because I think particularly if you've got a, um, a gambling habit or, a, or, <laughs> or, some, or, some, or some people you just want to see what you're winning, you know? I yeah, think, for sure. As humans, we kind of can't help being visual beasts and if you can physically see your prize sitting there, it's just such a draw, mm. isn't it? Such a draw for the potential customers. I feel like Las Vegas is one of the only places as well where they could have like a million pound, a million dollars just sat there physically. In the UK, it would go missing. Although I don't think anyone's going to rob from Las Vegas casinos because I think that's how you end up like found and murdered. <laughs> certainly, certainly before about 1980, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know what it's like now um, from my limited that. experience. I've watched the movie Casino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I imagine there must still be some sort of, because that's obviously how the whole of Las Vegas was built, wasn't it? So I imagine there must still be yeah. some bits going on. Wild West Trail, I think, still that remains a little yeah, bit. Yeah, definitely. Where was your um, favourite place in the United States and where was your least favourite? I'd say it's a two-way tie. After that first trip, I... There was something about Texas I quite liked. Yeah. And I love San Diego. Fair enough. Um, I love although, San Diego. Arizo although Arizona was lovely as well. Arizona was quite mm. special. So I'd probably I'd say a three-way tie out of those. Um, but yeah, a, a Virginia was quite quaint and interesting as well. Uh, the Blue Ridge and Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. And anywhere you wouldn't go back? Um, I would I probably wouldn't have any great desire to go back to New Jersey or Chicago. Um, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, or possibly some of the northern states didn't really. We were just kind of just driving through, so I didn't really see much. I wouldn't have a burning desire to maybe go back to Indiana or Ohio. But um, okay. No, I, so I've, I've never been to those places. I'd like to go to Chicago, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it'd be interesting if... Yeah, just... You just pick your place and pick your time and busy to right. end up on the wrong side of town. <laughs> Definitely. 
I am um, I because I, I did a similar sort of trip. I went um, actually from New York via the southern states. I did it on a tour. Um, yeah. It was my first trip, and yeah. just before the day before I started, I had to get from Towson University, where I'd been staying with my friend, um, to New York City. So I got a bus. Um, I had to get a bus up. But I had lost any, bear in mind, this was like the second day of my travels. I was there in the United States for three months, and it's my second day, and I lost my only debit card. And so I had to go to a Western Union. Um, I asked my parents, I phoned my parents up at like, I think it was like 3 a.m. in the morning, because it was early in the United States, and yeah. um, said, can you send me a $1,000? And they went, okay. And so I had to walk around Towson with all of my stuff on my back, looking for a place where I could withdraw a thousand dollars and the first two places I went were like no we don't have a thousand dollars what the hell and I'm walking around and there's like crackheads in the street shouting at each other and people having a fight and I remember literally like walking around and there was a gunshot at one point and I was like it's like the morning it's not like it was just <laughs> losing my mind thinking like I'm gonna get like have my head like shot off um, over a fucking thousand dollars and I eventually got into this one place and I'm like we have it and I was like oh my god and then I had to walk around with that get to a a greyhound bus yeah. and I had to yeah. get and it was just one of the most stressful experiences of my life and I just thought it's amazing because in America you have these incredible places that are so full of wealth and prosperity and you have these other areas on, in, like, in the same town and sometimes like next to each other yeah. Um, where yeah. just there's no yeah. money going around at all. That's what I found, and it would literally change on a street corner. Literally. Yeah, you cross the road, mm. and suddenly that's another block, and that's everything different. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, we yeah we experienced that, but it was um, it was we had a similar thing as well with travellers checks. We were short in the UK, you can cash these anywhere, and everything's fine. And then when we got there, we looked at some shopkeepers almost with tears in their eyes. Puffing and puffing, and because they've had a lot of um, forgeries, apparently, we found out. So, um, oh, yeah, so, uh, oh, so from then on, it was just cash, 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 and uh, yeah, because yeah, I didn't have an online account back then, so have cash and separate it and stuff it in different parts of your body, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just keep it separate, and uh, yeah, that's, so that's what we did. and yeah, and then from from then on, um, two years later, I went back to the states again. Um, again, with my parents, just a road trip back in '99. Um, and yeah, but at that point, I just thought I've got to try and go every year or two. It was just like um, it was just like a, a fix. Then I just had to just had to just go there and just like I don't know. It was almost like just re reset, recalibrate, and just. It was like an escape, you know. It was, it was mm. fantastic, and, and that time we could we spent a bit longer and went spent a bit longer in each place and uh, and spent a bit longer in California and, and started getting the flights and everything down more to a fine art and where to stay, the place the nicest place near the airport we could actually get to know, and went again two thousand and one, two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Wow. Yeah. During that time, I. Uh, went on my first proper clubbing holiday back in 2002 as well <laughs> to um, uh, Mallorca. Nice. It was very new at the um, grand old age of 26. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, um, 
Yeah. <clears throat> Where did you stay in Mallorca? Um, Palmer and Over. Okay. Um, we did venture into Magaluf. Got to. It's got to be done. It's official name. And um, <laughs> the BCM and saw the, uh, the great Dave Pierce and had a chat. And so, yeah, did all that. Went back in 2003 as well. And, um, yeah, so a few clubbing holidays around those years. Mm. About 2006, 2005, 2006. And um, yeah, and that's when, uh, by, that, by that stage, I was working, I started working in electronics. Um, it took me a while to get into it because I finished college, but there was a recession on then, so it was really hard to get any work. So, I, um, so yeah, then one of my lecturers persuaded me to do a high diploma, which I did. And then I came out and still wasn't any work. Cut a long story short, I just got a job in a factory doing some soldering, and um, which was good really because it got me into the work frame of mind. And, and all the time I was there, I was still thinking about America because that was just a year after I first went. And um, yeah, yeah, just just constantly on my mind. So and it was a an American company as well, so that was like amazing to me as well. And anything with an American link was just like wow, excitement and just like. <laughs> Yeah, I was just obsessed, and, and my uncle at the time, who went with us on that first trip, he could relate to that as well. And, you know, and my friend sent me a, a, a San Diego Padres uh, baseball T-shirt, I think, for my birthday mm. Christmas. So oh wow! Him. And um, I was actually so obsessed, I was opening the present. I thought, I can smell America on this, and, <laughs> <laughs> and my uncle could say, I can, I can relate to that. He said, I can relate to that. He said, I was obsessed as a kid as well because. He grew up in the 50s and 60s, you know, with the rock and roll and everything. And oh, my and, God. And, yeah, and, and the classic cars. So it had been, he literally, his dreams were going there for 40 years. So it was just, yeah. Damn. His dream realised for my uncle as well. And, um, and he's a drummer, so he got to play with a band in Vegas as well. Wow. No way. Oh, yeah. Quite That's a cool. random thing as well. So, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, um, yeah, so I'd, I'd managed to get this factory job but I stayed about a year it was just temping and then uh, there was this other company nearby that I had my eye on for months and months and probably a year or more I was applying there constantly 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 for technician jobs couldn't get anything in the end the HR lady I think took pity on me and there was a just work like on the factory floor just putting components in boards and checking them and soldering Damn. and she said well we've we can't offer you a technician job, Mark, but if you'd be interested, we can offer you this. And I thought, yeah, I grabbed it with both hands, just get my foot in the door, you know. Definitely. And so, yeah, I was there for a year, and then <coughs> an internal, internal technician job came up, which I went for and got. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, the, the manager in that department was uh, a character. He was known in the company. I was actually warned going into the department by all the all the, the other technicians. Um, really? Yeah, about him. So, um, yeah. So anyway, he. Um, I was in that department for a while, and then eventually, um, everything caught up with him, and he disappeared. And then I'm, mm. and then I just was working in this lab, calibrating instruments. Uh, the, the big main lab there which was all working on top high end stuff and obviously I can't say too much about some of it for militaries in different places in the world and, but it was okay. ultra ultra accurate temperature controlled and 
Um, wow. Zero, 0.1 parts per million accuracy, and I was, yeah, I was, and it was really nice, really interesting, and I enjoyed it. It was what I wanted to do at college, and I'd known what I wanted to do since I was 14, fortunately at school, I knew what to do with electronics, and I thought, that's it, at last, 10 years, I've made it, and I'm in this company, and um, and it was, yeah, it was all, all good and going along pretty smooth, and then, as it was an American company, uh, bought us, well actually it was an American company when I started, and then another American company bought them out, um, and in 2004 I had the offer of relocation to their Dallas branch. And, nice. And, um, it's all coming already, together. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'd already popped in there on one of my road trips, I think a year or two before, and had a chat. I'd just gone in there. I found out they'd got a branch here, and I thought, well, I'll go in there and have a chat. Met this other guy, and he was very friendly, and um, he said, yeah, come and see the boss. He just had me lunch outside, had a chat with the boss, and I said, yeah, if you ever need anyone, let me know. And, Enough went back to the UK, and a few months later, he said, Yeah, we, I might, we need someone. Can you send your details through and filled in the application forms, did everything. Cut a very, very long story short. Um, kind of head office sort of overruled and basically didn't want to get me the visa, so it all uh, fizzled out. But, um, mm. but I still didn't give up, I, I still thought I still want to live somewhere else in the world. I wasn't mm. quite sure where, where at that point, um, and this was around 2005, 2006, and then, um, and then in 2006 I thought I'm going to kind of try and decide myself and try a different tack, so I, I tried looking into studying in the States, um, and I was initially scared off with the international fees. But um, we'd sold our house around that time, and my parents and I'd got a little cut, and I thought, oh, okay, this could help propel me and help me with my little journey. So um, I looked into study, and I thought it's going to cost still too much with the international fees, and yes. I, went to a few uni I looked into a few universities around Texas, um, had some interesting courses, um, but I don't know, in the end I just thought, I'm just going to just go there and just spend some time, which is what I did. I had a gap here about 10 years late and spent some time there. I just got a, uh, an apartment um, nice. and, and it was just nice to just chill out and soak up that lovely feel of just being there and yeah, I just loved it and I bought a, a old classic car, a 1975 Chevy Impala which still resides in a little storage unit in that town where I was living to this day. <laughs> um, and which my dad's been using every year he goes there on holiday. It's still cheaper than renting. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, I was just basically just dossing around, working on these cars and there was an old Cadillac. My mum and dad came out as well and they, um, they stayed there and and I couldn't, I didn't have a visa, so I couldn't stay longer than 90 days. So we just stayed there for 87 or 88 days and then flew back to the UK <laughs> for two or three weeks or a month. And it all coincided perfectly because I first went in September and those 90 days were just before Christmas. So we came back to Christmas, which we wanted to, wanted to nice. anyway. And then the next 90 days took us nicely up to Easter when I came back into England, which was a good time to visit. So, Absolutely. And then, 
and then the next 90 days took us up to the end of June, by which time it was too bloody hot to survive in Texas anyway. So, <laughs> so it, it all sort of worked out well, really. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and then I I thought, well, the money was running a bit low, and I thought, okay, well, I didn't really want to go backwards and go back to my old job, but I thought, well, um, I'd look around for some others, and I went, I got a couple of other interviews in electronics companies, but they... Basically, wouldn't offer me any more, a penny more than I was getting at my old place. And my old place was happy to have me back, so I went back. Uh, which was a, a, a little bit weird, even though it was only not even not even a year. <laughs> um, and then I was there for probably another year. They bought out some other companies and stuff. And then I started getting interested around that time in Australia and New Zealand. I thought I've kind of given up on trying to get into America. I thought, you know, unless I'm a millionaire and can start my own business. Yeah, or or, or, mar- or marry an American, or I've got exceptional talent, and I'm some computer genius whiz kid. Then I'm probably not going to get in. <laughs> so I thought, right, I'll just kind of just still go on holiday, but look, I'll start looking elsewhere and kind of you know sampling some other places and see what takes my fancy. Because obviously I still had that travel bug, but I still wasn't quite a hundred percent sure where yet. Yeah, I knew it was. I knew it wasn't the UK, but I didn't know where. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to some emigration shows, which were all the rage around that time, um, in London. Okay. And and um, by this time, I was actually in a relationship, and so we went down together, and we would look around these um, all these stores with all different governments um, and state governments and big companies from all over the world, really, mainly Commonwealth countries, and Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Canada, um, but America as well, and I think one or two others. And it was, it was quite fascinating. I was surprised at the scale of these events and how many thousands of people from the UK were pouring into them, eagerly trying to find a way to emigrate. Trying to escape and, the UK, um, yeah. And I and I, I, I looked around all these vast swathes of trade stands and people, and I thought, I'm not alone here. <laughs> 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 I thought I was just a little bit eccentric. I thought, no, there's a huge number of people here thinking the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I spoke to a lot of people, got a lot of brochures, pamphlets, went to some seminars. And there was one particular seminar I went to. Uh, I still remember the day, February the 28th, 2009. Wow. wow. I'm, quite, I'm quite good at remembering dates. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not the rain man, believe me. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Although the rain does follow me everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but, it, but it, was, it was quite quite surreal. It was, I, I sat right in the centre and there was these three migration agents all sitting up there, all giving their little speech, and obviously mentioning their business because they all ran uh, migration agencies. Um, and it was an open floor, so people were just asking questions. What's it like in Canada? What's it like in South Africa? What's it like in New Zealand? What's it like in Australia? And I was sitting listening, and there was one particular agent um, who seemed to have quite a, a good, a warm, a good energy, and. Um, I asked her a question. I said, what's it like in Queensland, Australia? Because she lived there and she'd come over to the UK to, to do this 
convention and then, and then fly back to back to Australia. And and she'd already lived over here on the Gold Coast for about six years by then. And um, and yeah, she answered my question and thought, wow, this is amazing. I came out of that seminar, uh, went to a few more stalls, um, kind of, I didn't officially sign up, but I chatted to this other particular guy who was a migration agent, and left with a big pile of pamphlets, drove back to Norfolk, and spent days chewing it over very excitedly, and by then I realised that my occupation was probably on the skilled list for Australia. Um, for sure. And... Whoa, and that just set the ball rolling. So then I cut a very long story short, um, got in touch with this particular lady, I dropped the other guy because he was a bit rude. And <laughs> so I, I thought, well, I'm not going to do business with you. So I thought, I've got to think ahead here. I could be spending a lot of money and uh, got to pick the right person. I didn't just sure. apply to the government in case anything went wrong. So I think it was, it made sense to pay a bit extra for, to make sure it was done properly, you know, and, and someone that knew all the little pitfalls and all the little ways to get around problems so so yeah we got in touch and um, started applying 2009 um, not long after that convention and put all my skilled assessment together with the help of my agent um, and it must have been about three or four months in just about got that done and then the Australian government changed all the rules regarding um, their visas system. So I thought, I'm not going to carry on, I'm not going to go any further because I already heard some stories about some people who had done everything and then sold their house in the UK but still couldn't come to Australia because their visa hadn't been processed. At that time, people um, were waiting up to two years for the visa no. process and there was a huge backlog and it was, yeah, and I thought, I didn't want to be caught like that. I mean, I wasn't selling a house but I still didn't want to be left halfway between yeah. one country and the other. So I just, I thought freeze everything and just sit and wait. So all yeah. what I'd done was all what I'd done was safe. So I just froze it all. Spoke to my agent. Said, "Okay, right, yeah." And and then about must be nine months went by, went by, and then it all kind of changed again. But I saw in my favour because I was looking at all the news reports, and she said the same. She said, "This is a window of opportunity for you, Mark. Your visa could be fast tracked through here because they want all the trade occupations to basically be cleared out of their backlog." And because, uh, yeah, they just wanted them all for that. They needed people, basically. They needed um, trace people at that time in Australia so so desperately. And for what for whatever reason, red tape and bureaucracy got in the way too much. And there was all these delays. So, so mine was actually fast-tracked through uh, within about less than 10 months, I think, nine and a half months. And by October, I got that lovely big envelope through the post with my visa grant notification. Love it. Which was an indescribable feeling. It was amazing. Thought, right, this is another big milestone. This is this is um, mm. and um but it was still another two years before I went. Um my relationship at the time ended. Um but it didn't deter me from still wanting to go ahead and come to Australia. It just took me a bit longer to save up to get here. So I was um yeah, just supposed to be saving around that time. I went in my first house share in the UK around that time, which was really good. Loved it. Took to like a duck to water. And that was my sort of dawns of my cultural epiphany, I think. Kind of thought, <laughs> like, okay, this is, this, is, this is good. This is like setting the scene for what might 
what might happen when I eventually emigrate. So I wasn't really saving much money. I was just partying quite hard around that time. <laughs> and um, yeah, develop, developing quite a quite a liking to um, gentlemen's club. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and vodka. Um, but, but, but it was, but it was just uh, just for a set time really. It was just kind of, I guess for about a year, mm. um, and then I kind of sort of stepped back a bit from that and just. And I was looking at maybe I'm just going to just need to just go, and take a little bit of money with me and just hope for the best and try and find work when I get to Australia. Mm. And I was sort of slowly getting ready to do that. I thought, right, this was 2013 by now. And I thought, right, I can't really wait too long. I've, I've had this visa now for a couple of years, nearly. And I need to put it to use before it expires. So so I got in touch with my agent and, and fortunately she knew a few people in Australia already that could kind of show me around and welcome me when I got here, which was really nice. Mm. And um, in the end, I just thought, right, I'm just going to just start applying for jobs, even though I'm not there and I probably won't get them. They can't see me. They can't meet me. I can't have yeah. a proper interview. I thought, let's just, just give it a go anyway. And literally the second one I applied for, uh, they wanted to interview me over Skype. Wow. Oh, nice. Which I was really shocked at. Um, and I did, and the, the boss didn't interview me, one of the managers of one of the branches did. Um, and, and it all happened rather quickly because this was the end of November. I applied. Within about three days, um, they'd interviewed me. And then just a few days after that, they said, can you start after Christmas? <laughs> wow. Did you go? Yeah, I didn't really kind of talk about it too much. Because, um, yeah, I, my family wasn't too keen on me going to, particularly my parents weren't too keen on me going to Australia, to say the least. And understandably, I was I didn't have a a lot of money to take with me and to support myself while I was looking for work over there, which was obviously a concern and to them and, and to me as well. So when I got this job off, I still remember the day sitting at the dinner table and I, I just calmly said, well, I understand your fears about me going to the other side of the world with limited funds and just trying to find work. So... I've managed to solve that problem by getting a full-time job offered to me, um, and they'd like me to start within a month. <laughs> Cut the atmosphere with a knife. But, um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I thought, well, at least, certainly from my own point of view, at least I knew that I wouldn't have to wait too long for that first paycheck. So... And I was just hoping it would be a good company. Mm. So anyway, I had Christmas, had a great New Year's Eve party at my sister's house. And then where um, I thought it was appropriate, as the theme was movies, movies was to um, dress as Crocodile Dundee. 
bearing in mind where I was going three days later. <laughs> so, so then I, I boarded the plane, which is a little bit strange, although probably not as strange for me as for maybe someone that had never been a long haul, because I had been to the States so many times. So, But still, this was a step further. Um, yeah, so but how I, many hours on a flight? It's like um, a 17 hour flight and then a night, another one, isn't it? 17 hour to Singapore. I just went to Singapore, which was only 13. Okay. And then, and then about eight and a bit. I think actually I went to Melbourne and then to Brisbane because I was originally going to start at the Brisbane branch. But at the last minute, they said, can you work at our head office in Sydney, which aroused a few suspicions. I thought, wow, this company doesn't seem too organised. Thought, yeah. Okay, fair, fair enough. I um, I got paid for an extra flight, connector flight down to back to Sydney again. That's annoying. And okay, right, fair enough. Um, so I was already a little bit sus- suspicious. Okay, seems a bit strange. Anyway, I um, I managed to get uh, some temporary accommodation on good old Airbnb. Yeah. Um, which all went very well. Um, in a western suburb of Sydney. And just close to where the company was, so I'd done my homework and found out how far away I was. Could I walk there? Could I cycle there? Was there regular buses? I'd worked all that out already. Um, and yeah, I remember turning up, and it was nothing more than really a sort of glorified shed. The kind of way it was portrayed was something quite high tech, and that they used to represent and was an authorised supplier of bigger companies, multinational companies and anyway it was, um, I thought wow this is, this place looks dodgy, um, Yeah. proper cowboy joint, so I was probably there two days and I could start to see the way things were being done and it was, I thought that it's just corners being cut is not the word, it, it was just quite scary um, and two days later they said right we'd like to go to the Brisbane branch after all um, but we'll pay your flight and your everything relocation and I thought oh just think so <laughs> so I thought oh maybe the maybe it's just the head office that's a bit chaotic maybe the Brisbane branch will be a bit <laughs> well, well organised <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't <laughs> 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 it was worse. It was a one-man show. There was one one guy there who had interviewed me, and he was doing everything. So he was the goods in. He was the packing. He was the salesman. He was the on-site guy that went out to visit customers. He was the guy oh calibrating. He was the guy doing admin everything. And That's there awful. was probably enough work for three people, at least. And they had one, and then they got me in to help. Um, I was familiar with my products that I've worked on in the UK, but there was a lot of other stuff I hadn't worked on, like pressure, pneumatics, and all other stuff. And I rapidly found out from this other guy that you couldn't do anything properly, basically. It was, um, it was, just they broke every rule in the book with the staff, with customers. It was unbelievable. Oh. So I thought, right, I can't stay here too long, um, which was strange because I'd worked at my last company for 13 years. 
Yeah. Because, yeah, I wasn't the type to make any rash decisions or, you know, so I, so I thought, <laughs> wow. And sure enough, uh, the first paycheck was late. Uh, didn't, pay um, over, didn't, didn't pay overtime. Um, still, the guy I worked with didn't want to shatter my dr- dreams of coming to Australia, so he didn't divulge too much about the company, but he knew everything. So yeah. he gradually started gradually giving clues and hints and saying little things about mm. how they carry on. And I thought, oh no. And, yeah. And, and and then it was just just unraveling more and more and more and more and. and yeah, 12 close circuit television cameras on live streaming above you all the time while you're working, doing trust you won't work, mm. stealing, asking you to siphon fuel out the car and measure it within 10 millilitres in case you're stealing fuel from the car. What? And they stole, stole some other branches where they had um, sacked, sacked one particular guy who broke his leg. He, he said, I can't get in because my leg's broken. And they said, well, you've got to work at least part-time. Uh, he said, I can't. And so, uh, while he was off, they changed all the locks, deactivated his card, hired, hired another guy to work to uh, take his place. And then, when he eventually recovered and came back to work, he couldn't get in because there's something wrong with my card. And then he realised that he hired someone else. And, and that was just the tip of the iceberg, basically. I That's write, ridiculous. I could write a book just about this company, and it would, <laughs> and it would be firmly on, on the horror shelf in the library. So, wow! I, so it was my mission to just escape. Basically, every day it was like sitting on a volcano. The, the you're expected to just do a bodge job. But yeah. If the, if the customers found out, the bosses were telling you to basically not do it correctly, but they weren't backing you up. So if the customer found out, they were hanging you out to dry, and they weren't. You know, they were basically. So you're getting it from both directions. Yeah. 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 Customers saying, Where's my instrument? We were snowed under, we couldn't cope with the work. And then the boss is saying, Why isn't this done yet? But if you did it too quickly and they sussed out you'd not done it, even though they were telling us not to do it right, they fired us. So basically, whatever we did, we were virtually on the verge of being fired. If, if the customer found out we weren't doing it correctly, we'd be fired. And if we did measure it correctly, that means we'd take too long doing it and the boss would fire us. So it's just it ridiculous. Like, it, it was just impossible. It was just so yeah. I just couldn't cope. So uh, I eventually found this other company in Sydney that was linked to my one in the UK. So I was chatting to the manager there. I got on talking terms with him over the weeks. Kept in touch every month. So I thought, right, this is my could be my lifeline to escape. Mm. Um, meanwhile, everything else in Australia was was going along quite nicely. I was loving the weather. I was in a house share. Um, I was visiting mm-hmm. Brisbane, which was lovely. I was spending weekends at South Bank, relieving the stress from work, and yeah. look, looking around Brisbane, which is lovely, for the first two or three months. Um, and then I think it was about three months in, my friend on the Gold Coast, who was my migration agent, who I kept in touch with, and I've since discovered has kept in touch with all her ex-clients, she invited me down to the Gold Coast. She said, Mark, look, I'll come and pick you up, so I was in southwest Brisbane. I'll take you down to, Gold, to the Gold Coast. And when I moved from the UK to Sydney, I thought, wow, this is so chilled. And then mm. when I got relocated to Brisbane, I thought, wow, this is even more chilled. This is amazing. <laughs> and then my friend took me to the Gold Coast, and, and that was just another level of chill. This is just so amazing. This is just, this is just paradise. I mean, it just, you can't get better than this. 
you know, I've been to California, I've thought this is at least like that, if not more. And I thought this is incredible. And she showed me around Burley Beach, and I was on the beach there, and I've still got the photo, February 2014. And, um, and I'd, I'd, by then I'd sussed it out to get the train to Brisbane as well, going to the Gold Coast and everything. And once she took me there, I was going down there every, every other weekend. Um, mm. So I thought sometimes I went to Brisbane, sometimes I went to the Gold Coast. And I was thinking, I've got to try and move to the Gold Coast. It's just so lush. And I thought, I was looking at the house price, house share, prices of the house shares, and they seemed about the same price. So I thought, I could okay. do this. I could actually do this. But I'd have to commute still to this nightmare job. And I thought, I'm going to do it though. So I was saving up, saving up as much as I could anyway. And I thought, I'm going to do it. So I bought, I, I said, I'm going to buy a car, but it's got to be a pretty good one. So I'll get some um, $3,000 job and then break down on that highway. So, yeah. So I went north of Brisbane and found a nice Honda Accord and, and drove it back, felt on top of the world after getting buses and trains and, you know, Mm. And then, and then I made the move. I moved down to the out of this house here, down to the Gold Coast. So then I I moved in, which was it was just amazing. Um, it was a bit scary because I knew I couldn't really afford the rent on my own, so I'd probably have to sublet it at some point. Um, but it had a swimming pool in a sense. It was like on a complex, mm. and I thought, oh, wow, this is just incredible. Um, Sounds it. I started looking for some housemates. Um, which was difficult because it was about 10 k's inland from Surface Paradise, which is where all the you know, yeah. young people wanted to be. So um, it was tough <laughs> to find someone. In the end, uh, um, this um, English female couple in this wildly painted camper van turned up mm -hmm. to view it. <laughs> and I thought, okay, they'll do. And, uh, <laughs> and so they moved in. I thought, I was. I had to get someone, so I thought, right, let's, let's go for it. Um, literally, a week or two after that, um, things took a turn for even worse at this nightmare company. I thought, I thought, this enough is enough. Um, yeah. I'd, al I'd already been a martyr to them in July, a couple of months before that, by working overtime all day Saturday, knowing they wouldn't pay me overtime, but literally just to get out of a stitch up that I knew they were trying to sack me and this other guy. And I thought the only way I'm gonna do this is basically sacrifice a lot of overtime money, but basically make them feel guilty. And yeah. take the heat, at least buy some time and take the heat off me for a while. Yeah. And cause they were just looking for ways everywhere to try and fire us basically, even by dirty tactics like, you know, like so many things like, won't go into all the details but go um, in no <laughs> so so um just telling lies to customers about what we've done lying to us about what customers had said about us and then we'd speak to the customers and find out the customer knew nothing about it and all things like that it was just horrendous but fortunately we developed such a good relationship with some of the customers we were bypassing the head office in these bosses so us our little branch in brisbane was getting a good rapport with the customers and even though we weren't supposed to measure the instrument, we were supposed to just basically switch it on, check it was working, and then generate a full certificate of 300 measurements, saying that we'd done it all when we hadn't done anything. That was the head office. That was what the head office wanted. 
Wow. I still took it upon myself to do extra hours and make sure that their instrument actually did work and that wasn't gonna, it wasn't going to blow up in their face on a mine site somewhere. Yeah. Or, or, or do something, because some of these instruments are being used in hospitals, mining, and in quite serious situations. And, and if it wasn't working on a particular function, it, it's, it could be very dangerous. So yeah. I made sure and that it, I at least measured every function and, made, and most of the ranges and those functions made sure it was okay. Anyway, it all come to a head on this particular day. Um, I think they tried something on again and were just like basically after our blood again. Um, so this particular day, my colleague was late. I got into work. Saw yeah. what they were trying to trying to do. And I thought, that's it. That's enough. <laughs> I just I'd had enough. I thought this is it. This is where quiet, polite Mark, <laughs> you've turned into a monster, and you've created that monster. <laughs> and Fair enough. You're not you're not, you're not going to get away with how you're treating all the other staff and customers. So you're going to pay. So. I wrote this carefully worded long email for about an hour and a half, listing in bullet points all the things they've done wrong to the customers and to other members of the staff, with proof, but not mentioning anyone by name, so they couldn't sue me. It's just a company, so I company mm. that. We got it all together, and then my colleague came in, it was a bit late that day, and he looked at me and he knew something was up, and he said, what's up, Mark? I said, right, I'll explain everything. Because we had light cameras on us all the time. I said, you've got to make this look genuine. You look all shocked. I'll stand up, shake your hand, walk out the door. Just after I press send with this email, you look all surprised when I walk out and that'll be it. Um, I picked my time because we've just been paid, so they won't owe me anything. So I thought, right. Yeah, clever. Yeah, you know. And um, I knew I had some holiday owing as well, and I checked Fair Work Australia's website. And I was a full-time employee, so I was entitled to that. But they've got around that by never employing more than 15 staff, so you don't have to comply with a lot of Australian work regulations. And that's why they never hired more than two people at any branch, even though they were slowed under the work. So wow. Get away, get away with, yeah. And sure enough, I'd heard that a couple of guys took them to court, and the judge basically said, you can't do anything with this because, um, yeah. So I, I, wrote, I wrote this big email out, and at the end I just put, um, I'm resigning with immediate effect, please forward on my holiday pay, sent it, and then stood up, shook my colleague's hand, walked out the door, and he said, by the time I'd driven to the top of the driveway, all the branches were phoning up, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, head office, saying, oh my God, what's going on, what's happened? I basically exposed the company because I sent it to all branches, all staff. Or what they were sure. doing wrong, or they were because I knew how to do it properly because I've worked in that industry for thirty years. Yeah, yeah. So I knew everything they were doing wrong. Um, some of the staff weren't even aware of a lot of the stuff that was going on. So wow. I basically exposed them. I was tempted to even send that email to some of their biggest customers, but I thought maybe not do that just in case this company was so dodgy they hired a hitman to hunt me down. So. <laughs> so so I just no, just let everyone know in the company. I sent it, and according to my colleague, uh, within just a few months, a few months following that, over half the staff left. Um, it done a lot of damage. It destroyed morale in the company. Good um, for you. 
That's awesome. Lost, they lost a lot of money. They lost some of their big um, military contracts doing measurements. They were struck off. So, unfortunately, they are mm -hmm. still going. But certainly for that a certain time period, I did some damage. So I thought, well, that was that was good. Um, and then I got another job in Adelaide. And just fast forward in a little bit, I, I was looking for another job. I'd already been to this company when I came over for a little, basically to get my visa stamped for a week in 2011. Oh, 2012, okay. sorry. 2012. Was it 2012? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Ivor, we won't know the difference. Have, it must have been 2012, yeah, because I didn't get the visa until October 11th. And I, and I yeah, came over to Adelaide for a one-week trip and... Yeah, that's where I met these people that travel around Adelaide and that my agent knew. And then, so I, I popped in this place then, I'd already found this electronics company, went in there, and they did work linked to my company in the UK. And I thought, well, this one's got to be better than the last one. For sure. And, and I got the interview, it was through an agency, still, still in this beautiful resort-style home on the Gold Coast, and I thought, well... Mm. I relocate, I'm just going to have to just sublet this. I was only three months into the lease and it was six months. I thought, oh, I've just got to somehow make this work. Yeah. The owners the owners are not going to like it. but And I did make it work. I found another tenant, filled two rooms, um, had a word with the owners. They weren't very pleased about it, but I managed to kind of talk them into it. I said, I'll visit every month, even though I'd probably be in Adelaide, to make sure everything's okay. And, keep it running and I managed to do it got this job in Adelaide flew down there um, and then I just found out that my sister's operation was in that December 2014 and I thought I've got to get back so yeah couldn't afford it um, couldn't get a credit card and couldn't get a loan I thought how am I going to do this I was literally praying I thought how am I going to get back to see her mm. um, I just got this job in Adelaide but I hadn't um, I hadn't found a, a home yet in Adelaide. It was really fine, really difficult to find a house yet. Luckily, some friends had a spare room, so I was staying with them during December 2014. And um, my friend, who was who was my landlord at the first house share in the UK back in 2013, came over to visit. And he stayed at my place on the Gold Coast. And then when I went to Adelaide, he followed me. So we were just hanging out, reminiscing about, you know, my last year in the UK, and it, it was great. And then, literally, it got to about December the 18th, I was begging the bank for a loan or a credit card just to get back to see my sister yeah, um, and my parents. And literally, at the last moment, the bank approved a credit card, and then the day late, the day after I booked my flight back, December the 20th, and flew back to the UK. And, yeah, and... Managed to see my sister the day she got back before Christmas, so it all just worked oh, out amazing. It was just like a miracle. So yeah, mm -hmm. so I had Christmas in the UK, and then January third, flew back out to Adelaide. Um, just before I'd left, I'd arranged a house share. I found one just before I got this flight back to the UK. I yeah. found a house share. Seemed really good. Had a really good energy. Um, it was close to the centre of the town. I could walk to work. Cool, perfect. And Adelaide had a sort of a, a town feel more than a city, which was really nice and quite quaint. And so, um, yeah, when I came back in in January, I was all ready to move in, moved in. 
Um, already, I could see one of the housemates had a twinkle in her eye, which was, which was nice. Um, we got on quite well. Um, the day I moved in, she left her, left her boyfriend. Um, I didn't really think anything of it. She's still having a bit of a bad time at the moment. Oh, okay. um, and then I was, yeah, I was there. The job was going pretty well. I thought, yeah, okay, I could see myself staying in Adelaide. Maybe not forever, but for quite a while. Yeah. Um, then um, I realised that the company I was working for, the boss was very racist. There was only him um, and Australian, Italian Australian lady um, doing the admin and um, a guy from India who was the trainee sales guy. Cause they, as well as doing elevations, they sold some products as well. And um, I felt a, a strange atmosphere with this guy when I went on that fact finding trip. I popped in there and he was with this other guy and they were partners. And when I went back and got this job, he was on his own. I said, what happened to the other guy then? And he said, oh, he, um, he was too slow. He, um, and I don't know, I just felt that the other guy was had a, a better energy when I first met him at that brief visit than this guy. Yeah. And I thought, I, thought, I couldn't help but thinking that it was this guy that had the issue, not the guy that left. Mm. So my, I, I was a bit, my suspicions were aroused then. Anyway, the two or three weeks went by, got into mid to late January, um, realised that this particular lady that worked there was very unpleasant, rude and toxic, and this other guy was very rude and um, I think was uh, very racist and towards in sort of subtle ways and was sort of passive aggressive kind of towards me really as well and not very not very friendly didn't really want to talk my eye contact and, and I've done nothing wrong and I thought well I don't know I, I just hinted it was a lot of old racism he, he was quite an old guy in his 60s mm. um, just an awesome. and, and people have warned me a bit of particularly with the old some of, some of the older People in Australia, they told them um, they don't particularly like the English. And people have warned me about it. I thought, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. So anyway, um, uh, oh yeah, what happened? An instrument kind of, it didn't blow up, but one function stopped working. He basically tried to pin that on me. He suddenly sort of, he sort of suddenly turned on me. So I thought, right, I knew this product had a design flaw at that particular function. So I went back to the UK and contacted the company that made it where I used to work, got all the information. So I thought, if you try and stitch me up and fire me for breaking this instrument, I've got proof that it was a design flaw. Yeah. Um, so I got all that um, and he basically gave me a, a warning. Um, I was getting all the work done, but in his eyes it wasn't good enough. He said, I expected you to manage the lab and, and do more. And I was basically getting paid a basic technician's wage, but expecting to do everything. Um, so I thought, okay, this is not very good. Um, the house share was going great. This girl was flirting with me every day and, <laughs> and um, 
and I didn't really respond because all, all I'd been told, because it was my only my third house year, I thought, you know, really, be really careful with relationships in house years because if it all goes wrong, you know, you could be shit on your own doorstep. So Yeah, literally. Um, so I basically didn't really respond. I was just friendly and polite, but I didn't kind of... I was a bit tempted to, to reciprocate and I thought, okay, let's just... Let's just let this happen, but but I, I didn't. I stepped back, and um, and then when it all went sour at this company, it got really really bad, um, and I phoned up this guy who I'd been in touch with at the first place months before uh, at this place in Sydney, this bigger company that was linked to my place in the UK, uh, and I was like I said, I kept in touch with him every few weeks, but I hadn't called him for a couple of months, and I called this guy up. And he said, you've called just at the right time, Mark, because we're going to open a brand new branch. Uh, we've opened a brand new branch in Sydney, and we're looking for a technician literally right now this week. So wow. wow. I thought, wow, this is maybe meant to be. I was just thinking, oh, yeah. just, just, just when things are going, starting to go really bad here, at this work in Adelaide, I might be able to get to Sydney. He wanted me so badly, he paid for my flight from Adelaide wow. to Sydney. Um, picked me up from the airport, bearing in mind it was a 40k drive, and then took me out for a pub lunch, showed me around the company, we met everyone, Wow! basically offered me a job on the spot. And this was a senior technician role, um, wow. and I thought, oh, this is amazing, I was on a high. So I, I, yeah, I, I bet. I booked the day off at this place in Adelaide and just said, oh, I just, just need a day off, didn't say why. Yeah. Um, but... It was a, a very strange twist happened because um, one of the sales guys who was actually English, he supported a few different companies around the UK dealing with sales of these products. And this place in Adelaide stocked some of the products. This place in Sydney stocked some of the products. So this particular guy knew both of the bosses the one that had offered me the new job and the one that I was still working for in Adelaide. So I went off to this interview in Sydney thinking it was all covert operations, undercover, nobody knew, arranged this mm -hmm. job, come back smiling smugly, thinking, yes, lovely, I've got this job here, I can hand in my notice now in Adelaide, uh, which I did. Um, but I sensed an atmosphere as soon as I walked in that place in Adelaide, something there was a different atmosphere, and I sensed that somehow he knew. And I later found out that this sales guy had, when he was in Sydney, was um, uh, chatting to the manager there. Then he went back to this guy in Adelaide, chatting to the guy in Adelaide, and um, uh, he'd said, "Oh yeah." Um, this guy in Sydney's um, just hired an English guy who used to work at this this company. He mentioned the name. Oh the company, no! In the in the UK, and then the guy at Adelaide must have thought, well, it can't be. There can't be two English guys that worked at the same company. <laughs> yeah. And he put two and two together, and so I was exposed by this other sales <laughs> guy that knew both these managers. What a dick! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Probably has no idea. He was blissfully unaware of what chaos he was causing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
and and then I got this job in Sydney. I left-handed in my notice. Um, just before I left, this guy in Adelaide had printed off um, the copy of the job advert advertising my job in Adelaide and deliberately left it on the printer for me to see. Love it. Just, just to basically let me know I'm advertising mm. with someone else so that if it yeah. does fall through with this guy in Sydney, you've had it. But I, I, knew, it, I knew it wouldn't. I knew I was yeah. right. Um, it sounds like it. Yeah. I still gave him the, the proper amount of notice. Then I left, went to a place in Sydney. Um, uh, there were two extremely toxic psychopaths working there. Love um, it. One Scottish lady in the stores and one technician. Um, and even though there was the manager there, he was actually a nice guy and he, like, that's the one I've been speaking to for months and got me the interview and everything. Um, he was really not in charge. These two psychopaths run the joint. Even though this Scottish woman was only booking in instruments in the stores, and this other tech guy was only 23 years old, although he looked about 45. Um, he, they were basically running the show because they were so aggressive and so controlling and so narcissistic that um, whatever they said went. So if they didn't like someone, they basically brainwashed the manager to fire them. And that was how I found out I got this job because the guy, my predecessor, even though he'd done a good job, this particular other technician just didn't like him for some personal reason, stitched him up and basically lobbied and forced the manager to get rid of this guy. Either you go or I do. And this particular psychopath guy was really actually good at his job and he didn't want to get yeah. rid of him. And he, he was the golden boy, even though he was an absolute nasty piece wow. of work. Yeah. So... Um, and whatever he got, he he, was, he wanted, basically. Whatever he wanted, he got. And so did this Scottish woman in the stores. And I found that out. And um, I was there quite a while. I kind of still kept away from I learned some new techniques with fiber optics, which is really good. They were one, one of the leading fiber optics companies in Australia. Um, and it was quite easy going. Um, quite a small company, as many are in Australia, even though they might look big when you get there. There's only 10, 15 people. Mm. Um, I was there for quite a while, and my house share um, was an absolute nightmare um, in Sydney. Oh, God. Um, um, so I, I was just looking to escape this house share in Sydney because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> um, you haven't had much luck, really. And, uh, the jobs and everything so far. Mm. Yeah, so far it was a, about three months, I think every house share or every job before it was all just going wrong and I was just desperately trying to escape. I thought, okay, mm. right, pattern developing here. And it was around this time that I just, I thought, right, well, I'm going to start going out on the town here and start socialising, but I just want to, I don't, I want to, I was just inquisitive, I just wanted to get into, a, get to know some sort of different scenes and not be just literally the same old thing where you just pub to pub to pub, get drunk, end of the night, taxi home. I, want, I just wanted something a bit different. I just wanted to sample some different cultures and just some different, just do something different basically, go outside my comfort zone yeah. with my um, social scene and my lifestyle. And I thought, now that I've got a 
settled house here. This is the foundation. Now I can be a bit more relaxed, and now I can go out and explore and spread my wings a bit. Um, so the first thing uh, that was that I was sort of getting a bit inquisitive about was trying naturism. So I, I did my research and found which was a, a good, safe, respectable beach around Sydney. And I'll give it a try. I went down there one day. It was a busy, hot weekend day. It must have been, took a bit of finding it. It was hidden away, uh, just on the North Shore, around from Sydney. And I went there and it was, it was packed. There must have been over 200 people. It was quite <laughs> a small, small beach. It must have been 20 or 30 metres wide, maybe 100 metres long. So it was pretty crowded. You couldn't help but be sociable. <laughs> what I did, and there was all ages, all genders, all types, and it was a really good mix. Seemed very non-judgmental. It seemed really relaxed. Um, I thought, okay, right. So I did it. First time I'd ever been naked. Never even dreamt of doing it really in the UK. Um, although I say when I said I never dreamt of it, not consciously. Although I yeah. haven't had a recurring dream for many, many years of waking up in random, <laughs> like, random locations without any clothing and panicking because I couldn't find it. <laughs> Maybe there's always been something inside me, even from a child. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was when I was, when I was born, because I was born in um, the hottest summer ever recorded in the UK in 1976. So oh, wow. for the first three months of my life, apparently... I didn't wear any clothes because it was too hot to wear any clothes. Yeah, it's just stuck with and you. My, and my mother saved a lot of money money on baby clothes, which was another bonus. So mm. I think, yeah, maybe maybe it's traced back right to those early days. But, <laughs> but but anyway, when I when I did it, it just felt completely natural. I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel self conscious. I thought everyone's in the same boat here, mm. and. No one batted an eyelid, and I just walked down and got in the water and had a swim, and that feeling was just wow, indescribable, amazing, like nothing else. Like I was flying, just amazing. <laughs> and I thought, wow, it's just... and I just randomly just chat to a few people as I walked past. Hey, how you going? Introduce myself and that, and I thought, oh, I could tell who the regulars were. I could just sense it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they knew everyone. This particular guy was completely bronze and found out he'd been going there for 42 years. He was basically the second <laughs> home. Years. Yeah, he, was, um, he literally answered his phone and used, and used to say, hello, Cobbers Beach, how can I help you? <laughs> That's how often he was there. <laughs> and, um, and I got to know him all, and they were all unique characters and just... And it just took all the social boundaries away, which was so refreshing. Yeah, I bet. Where was the point where you felt like you need a change in your career and with all of the festivals that you went to, like what was the life-changing experience that you realised, so this electrician job is not like my path for forever? I would say... There wasn't a particular day, it was in stages. Um, mm -hmm. I started going out to some nights out and went to some alternative different locations, some LGBT clubs and bars in Sydney, and just found that it was just less judgment, less aggression, mm -hmm. um, 
and less ego and it was and the music was a lot better too because I do like my 80s pop and my <laughs> 90s dance and there was a lot more of that um, and it was it was just really nice and, and you could just wear what you wanted and no one cared which was mm. great so yeah I I just I just thought yeah this is good and I went to some yeah alternative house parties and stuff and, and just met some really interesting people and I thought well and that, that was kind of just before I went to this nudist beach and then when I started getting to nature and that was the next big step because it just changed my mm. mindset completely I was mm. just I knew that something had changed psychologically deeply inside because it was it, it I just started to see the world through slightly different eyes that it was like um, it's real but it's not real it's like um, mm, yeah. a, fe a feeling that this is real life, but at the same time, it's almost like a parallel universe because you've got people that yeah. are leading normal lives, but they're coming down here. Sometimes their family or their friends might not even be aware of it because um, they, they didn't want to say sometimes because there's still a lot of judgment mm. um, about that. Um, it's a real taboo subject still. Yeah, it's gradually, very slowly changing, certainly in some countries, but I mean, not a lot really. And and I found, to be honest, that once I'd be going there more regularly, and sometimes I went after work, it was lovely on a hot day, go down there even after work in the evening, on the long summer evenings, um, I realised that there was, it, it was like a, I don't know, it was just, just like a magic, a magic feeling that I thought, right, I've got to, there's, there's going to be more things happen now, and this could really shape the future. So, I am, um, I've got a few mates down there, and they invited me to, I remember one night I went to a, a naked art exhibition, just on Sydney Harbour, which was quite, cool. quite surreal. I never knew that something like this even exists. It's on the fourth floor of this building. They said, yeah, come along. We went the year before. It was really good. So a crowd of them from the beach went, plus a few other people. About 50 people all up. It's $25 to get in, which was good, because a lot of these art exhibitions used to charge a lot, a lot of money, about $100. Uh, so, but included in this was a beautiful buffet, and lots of little snacks and and for one hour, unlimited champagne and wine, all for twenty five. Oh my god! With a, with a That's incredible. View, with a beautiful view of Sydney Harbour, and it was at the Museum of Contemporary Art. So on this particular evening, in November two thousand and sixteen, um, I went along, and and it was great. And we just this this guy from Melbourne was showing us around, leading us through different corridors and into different rooms with all this. Um, art and these sculptures and it was all really interesting and we were all completely naked walking through the corridors we just got changed <laughs> in a changing room left all our clothes there and we were just following him around and looking around and, <laughs> and it was just just really liberating and really good and nice and that was the first time i've been naked indoors before that it just yeah at this, at this beach so that was another step for me and and then after that we had the buffet and was mind of view over the Sydney Harbour and I was just tucking into the buffet and <laughs> the next thing I knew some um, attractive young lady come walking up behind me 
very tall Australian, just started chatting to me. Um, all, all naked, obviously, and I thought, <laughs> oh, wow, fantastic. So um, I said, well, I'm just going to go and grab a drink if you want to join me in the queue. And, yeah, so, so we're just chatting away. And and, um, and then had a few drinks. Some other guys at the beach there were all chatting, and we were just spent about an hour. And then we left, went to this pub, because it was one of the guys' birthday, so we all got dressed left. This particular lady followed along. Um, uh, following me, which was fine by me, and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then time sort of slipped by. We left this pub, and I took the wrong turn in the centre of Sydney, and realised I'd missed my last bus home. And um, and she said, "Oh no, well um, you can mine if you want, crash at mine on the sofa." And I promised I didn't miss that bus intentionally. <laughs> and so went back and she was near Bondi in um, a beautiful little town just down there um, called Kuji and um, so yeah I stayed the night and yeah it went very well and then yeah we just kept in touch and we met a couple of times after and she came down to the beach in Sydney and um, yeah and it was so much happened around that time, and a week later, I went to see a, um, a Kim Wilde and Howard Jones in a little tiny RSL club in Western Sydney, in a slightly bogan area of Western Sydney, of all places. <laughs> we had Kim Wilde, her brother Ricky Wilde, and her daughter Scarlett Wilde all performing on stage, and then <laughs> and then they all joined up at the end with Howard Jones, and, um, and it was just that was a magical time. So it was all around that time in late 2016 but around that time um it was also the year that yeah, you went to confess yeah. the first time right 2016 yes. yeah because yeah. it's that, that it was yeah. a life-changing experience for you yes yes so um so i'd already been going to this beach around about i guess two months and in january 2016 february 2016 one of the guys says mentioned confess he said have you ever heard of this festival confess and i said no um, so he said, well, if you, if you want, you can come with us or just follow us and we'll show you the way, I'll give you directions. And he described it and I didn't believe him. I thought he was exaggerating. He said it was over 5,000 people. It was an alternative lifestyle festival. And there was everything, yoga, meditation, natural therapies, body painting. Um, there's, a, there's a river, a beach, a steam tent, a mud pit, there's clothing optional, there was fire twirling, drumming circles, all incredible stuff. Not much music, but that was okay <laughs> by me. Um, only acoustic. And I thought he was exaggerating <coughs> when he said, like, there's like half the people are naked and it's just, you know, enough. Um, and then I decided, decided I've got to go, I've got to check this place out. So I had a car. So I, I drove there, and it was a lovely adventure driving there. It was about a ten-hour drive, and I got there just at some at sunset, and stopped a couple of places on the way. Did my research, found the right way to get there. Um, and when I arrived, it it was an atmosphere like I can't describe. It was it was. I, I parked and then walked through and. 
the smells and the sights and the sounds. It's the first festival I've been to for a start. And, and what a first festival I picked. Um, I bet. It's widely known, certainly in the clothing optional community and certainly in the alternative community in Sydney um, and pretty much all over Australia. The place to go. It's basically Australia's answer to Burning Man, but less, from what I've heard, commercial, less restrictive. It, it was a true old style community where everyone came together um, and yeah, it was. And sure enough, when I got there within the first two hours, I was literally speechless. I could not speak. Uh, just the the feel, the atmosphere, the magical atmosphere of this place, mm. and the sense of community and acceptance, no judgment, no aggression, peace, love, happiness, freedom, and it was amazing. I thought, well, I'm glad I tried naturism because then I've never met these people that would have introduced me to this. And this, this led so me on true. to the big, the next step. And by the third day, I'd sort of got my head around it and realised that I wasn't dreaming this. This is, this is real. Because I really <laughs> couldn't comprehend that it was real. It was just too much. Um, I walked down to the river and there's hundreds of people on this beach all bathing in the river, all naked. And there was a steam tent. And there was these fires, people chatting around the fires. There was this big mud pit, huge mud pit, like a meter deep. And people were just swimming in it, floating in it, and massaging each other in it, and just splashing around. There were like 30 or 40 people singing, like spontaneous choirs. It, it was just incredible. I'm just looking at the images for it as well. It looks insane. Yeah. It looks, it looks man. I think my only yeah. thing that would get me is being covered in mud for so long. Um, but then I suppose that's just a, a normal UK festival. You end up like that anyway. It's just, you know, it's the same sort of thing. <laughs> at, least, yes. at least your guys are intentional. In but UK, it's just shit weather. It does make a difference when it's 30 degrees and not 18. That's very true. Yeah, that's a fair shout. Because the sun bakes it on, so it's so stiff and taut you can hardly move. And it's great because <laughs> while you're baking it on in front of the fires, you're socialising and chatting to people from all over the world, that some of whom have just come to Australia for Compass. Wow. Um, that, that's oh, wow. It's, it's literally an annual pilgrimage for a lot of people. Um, and so it became for me. And, and then they go in the river, wash it off, and then go in... Outdoor showers, all heated by the wood from the trees. No electricity, no internet, no phone signal. You're, you're cut off from the world, which is wonderful. So it's just basic human, human interaction and, and everyone sharing food, cooking together, talking together. And it was just primal. It just got back to the true essence of life. And once I'd seen that, I just realised how much of the modern world is just commercial and ego-driven, money-driven, and just show and bullshit. And, and, it, and this just basically exposed it all and just put it in stark contrast. I was in this beautiful oasis, a thousand kilometers out into the outback, 
and I've just basically experienced the true meaning of life. Wow. Um, and and it was it was just amazing. It was like I was flying the whole time I was there. It was like I was literally just like <laughs> floating and flying around. Um, they felt that there was no restrictions, no self-consciousness, no barriers to anything psychologically, physically, and yet everything was respectful, consensual, and everyone, there was never an awkward moment or crossword said to anyone, it all flowed, it all self-policed itself, which was beautiful. And Sounds wonderful. Yeah, definitely. How did you got the idea then and doing this completely change of career and starting a reflexology course? Because yeah. like from an electrician to doing a re yeah. or giving yeah. a ref reflexology mm. massage, it's like a big step for me. Yeah. Well, when I started going to some of these alternative parties, um, I once wore nail polish and I thought, oh, that's cool. And um, <laughs> this, feels, this feels quite good. I thought, oh. I think one of the girls did my nails. I was going out to these parties as a group of people, and then she said, "Oh, I'm good." And I thought, um, I kind of joked once, said, "Oh, I could, I could do that." Um, <laughs> one, one, we were chatting online, and they, she said, "Oh, I've got to do my nails before I go out." And I just joked, saying back, saying, "Oh, yeah, I think I do mine too." And she said, <laughs> "Actually, if you really want to, I could do yours." And I said, oh, go on, then I'll give it a try. And then I thought, "Oh, I quite like this. This feels..." interesting and different and so what color like, did you go for oh i just went black because we had to walk through an area of sydney that wasn't so alternative before we got there and there were some rubber yeah it makes on, sense rubber matches on so i didn't want to get my head kicked in <laughs> so i thought right i'll just i'll just um I went, um yeah I, went, I remember that night we went out and it was just really good quite Fun and just, just something different. It added a bit of spice, you know. And, just, mm. and so, when I went to Confest, um, it's basically run as it's called Conference Festival, is what it stands for. Okay. And it's always been run the same way. They've kept to the original values, and you can basically hold a workshop on anything you like. Literally, you let your imagination run wild. And Unicorns! From and from the names of some of the workshops written on the information board in the information tent, people's imaginations really was running, really were running, running wild. <laughs> it was, it was, literally, you just imagine the most wacky, amazing workshop you can possibly imagine, and it'd be on there. Mm. So I thought, well, my workshop is going to be nails. So I thought, right, and. Um, so I offered, offered to do that and put where you are. Each little area of the festival site had its own name, so there was little reference points so people could find you. Um, I went along that first year with these two guys from Sydney and they always camped down near the Arts Village, um, which was slowly optional mainly, although the most all areas of the camp were, but this particular area was near the river, so everyone was. And and there was body painting, life drawing. Um, there was a little mini music tent, but it was just acoustic. Um, 
hot tub, steam tent. There was a, a food kitchen down there, and, and the river meandered through and wound through. And there was these logs across the river. It's a natural sand beach. It was just covered in people. There's people doing acro yoga and everything. And, and um, I thought, well, I'm going to do this. And to be honest, I didn't really get any takers. So I just, just randomly, when I was out chatting. Which was so easy there because everyone was so friendly. And yeah, I just felt so free, zero inhibitions. That you just chatted to so many people, and if I got chatted and made a connection, I said, "Oh, would you like your nails done?" And um, and if they were female, they said, "Yeah, okay." Most of the time, so I said, "Well, I've got some colours here, and we should do their nails." And it was just a lovely way to get chatting and break the ice. I, I had mine done. So I was displaying my colour, walking out to it. And yeah, I nice. Said, oh, I like that colour. Can you do mine that colour? I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. And it was just really nice. It was, and we didn't charge. There was no money there. It was just like, um, everything was just like. Trade. Just giving exchanges and services and things or anything. So, you know, they'd say, oh, here's a bit of food. Or um, someone else would say, well, you have a massage or. I'll do a, a tarot reading on you, or we'll do a do <laughs> meditation or something, and and it was all it was all like done like that, which was so refreshing and so different for me, but but fantastic because just exclude that that word money, and it just puts a different complexion on everything. Hmm. And so yeah, that first year was just magical. I was never the same again it was the biggest biggest cultural change i mean becoming getting into naturism was the first big step going out to these alternative parties and trying this the nails and getting into that and doing it it was quite therapeutic doing it as well and then seeing the difference it made to people and saw that they were happy and smiling after and were happy with the way they looked and felt that just gave me a little buzz and i thought wow this is this is good making people feel good you know and it just like, and then I, I went back to this job in Sydney, just 2016, um, and then I just kind of, I don't know. It got to about the middle of the year, and um, I just thought I've had enough of the corporate world. Now I'd seen Confec. Now I'd seen different areas of society that weren't always kind of mainstream, shall we say. Mm. I thought a lot more to the world than just the commercial world and being like a robot and going to work, getting paid, coming home, getting in shopping, going to bed. Because we're not machines. We're all unique. We've all got different feelings and different just unique characters and, and want to express ourselves in different ways and don't want to be a, a, be a, a wage slave and wear a uniform. Um, which I'd never like doing, even at school. Um, I would have happily paid not to wear a uniform. <laughs> but, um, so I thought there's got to be more. And then I, it got to the middle part of the year. I'd um, got in this other house share. I was fairly happy there. And I thought this, I need to change something. And then I want to get somehow into a more natural job that's a bit less commercial. Um, where it was a little bit more freedom, where I was a bit, I was out and about a bit more. 
Um, I thought I'm living in Australia and I'm still cooped up in a laboratory mm. five days a week, not out in the sun, not out in the fresh air. I could be anywhere here almost. You know, I'm only seeing the benefit of Australia for the most two days a week. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I want an outdoors job. I know it's not going to be sunny every day, but I still want to try and get closer to nature because I felt that at Confest and I thought, and I always liked gardening since I was a kid and I thought, Maybe gardening is the way I want to go. Um, I knew people were doing it. I knew it was a trade. I knew it was feasible. I knew it wasn't a, just a, a crazy dream. I knew you could make money from it. And I thought, but it's also creative. It's with nature. Mm. So I thought, yeah, I could do that. And I could even go self-employed and do it myself. So I don't have to work for any toxic bosses like I'd had in those previous two companies. Definitely. Because I've trained a few... <laughs> The psychological scars there, and I thought, you know what, I've I'd reached a certain age by that year, forty, and I thought, I want to be my own boss. You know, I know the score now. I know what's right and wrong. I don't mind working long hours as long as it's, it's on my terms, because you know I'd had those experiences, and and it was I think it was all kind of guiding me in a way. All these bad house years and bad jobs were looking back, guiding me onto a different track. It was someone poking me in the back and saying, Mark, you should be doing something else. And then I kept going to another electric Universe. And it, and it all went wrong again. And then looking back, it was it was all meant to be. It was to try and push me away from electronics. Mm. And even push me out of those type of suburban areas in these particular cities and just, no, just live somewhere a bit different have a different career and, and looking back I, I sort of realise that now. So anyway I, I handed my notice in in September at this company to tremendous shock by the team leader and the manager but I gave them three months notice I was very generous. That's so very I, generous. I spent plenty of time to find someone else um, and I left in December 2016 and flew back to England which I was doing most Christmases, um, and yeah, had a great Christmas, and then went back in the at the end of January 2017 with a view to starting my own business doing garden maintenance. Um, still around somewhere around Sydney, um, I wasn't exactly sure where, although I'd found this little club just north of the city. Um, it was kind of this piece of land this guy owned. Um, he's actually a really old uh, German guy in his 80s um, and he ran a, a nudist club as well and he'd been there since the 60s um, Wow! so he had a, a little chalet on his, his land and he said well you can live here it's closing optional and you can do your gardening business and go out and you know like a mobile garden maintenance guy so that was what I was going to do um, and I can't really remember the exact time I decided that I didn't want to do that but I, I got I did eventually it wasn't it wasn't really ideal to live in this place there wasn't mains electricity oh, right. it's gonna be really awkward um, there was somewhere else I could go to, to cook, but it was it was 
not really practical. Yeah. So I, I did find another house share in a slightly more populated area north of Sydney and still stuck with the gardening thing. But I thought, well, for now, just while I get some more tools together and maybe a, a ute, as they call it out here, um, to drive around in, then I'll just get some work in maybe a nursery um, dealing with plants or um, some landscaping work. And there was loads around, so I looked on gum, good old Gumtree, found a landscaping <laughs> job, just close to me, um, and, the, and the guy seemed friendly, he said, okay, if we get anything, we'll let you know. Um, I didn't hear anything for a while, and money was running short. Uh, I literally prayed, um, and then 30 seconds later, he just rounded me phone and said, we've got some work for you tomorrow. Thought, wow. Okay. wow. So I went to work for him, it's really good. We drove, got up at 4.30 in the morning, drove in his ute down to south of Sydney, did some landscaping work, uh, which was great, so I worked with him for a while. Then got this other job as a nursery assistant. Um, still have my car, so I can drive to these places, these jobs. Um, but then, as that year went on, I kind of decided I was trying to make it work both ways. I was thinking, could I spend half the year in England doing the gardening in the, in the summer months there, and then the other half of the year come back to Australia and do it over here? And then I thought, well, if I've got regular customers, it might not work because they might want you more than half the year. Then it'd be the cost of the flying to and fro. To and fro. Mm. Um, then I thought, could I do it completely in Australia? And I thought, I don't know, around this time was like a, a, a tipping balance where I thought, could I even do something a bit different to that even? And I, I, I couldn't decide what, I couldn't decide. And anyway, I went back to, actually I got into another relationship with a girl I met at an alternative party in 2017. We were dating for a few months in Sydney. And, and then uh, money went short and I was just living out of my car for a few weeks, um, which is interesting, doing some more of this landscaping work. And then I thought, I'm gonna go back to England and just take stock and just get some job and save up some more money while I fully decide. And then I went back to the UK, and took a while to sell my car, but I did. And went back and within a week I'd Found this little job, not too far from me, um, making handmade vegan truffles. Um, I thought, oh, that seems good. So I started working there, which is very interesting. Um, I thought, well, I'll just stay here for a while, earn some money, while I'm fully deciding whether I want to carry on with this gardening career, or try something different. And I was there the rest of 2017. It got to about February, March 2018. I thought, well, I'm not ready to go back to Australia yet. However, I must go to contests. So, I <laughs> literally grabbed 1200 bucks, booked a flight, straight to Sydney, grabbed a rental car, drove to contests via my beach that I go to, or incidentally, I bumped into a lovely German lady and did her nails on the beach. And then, and then immediately said, well, I've got to go now. Um, 
And she said, I'll see you on the way back. I'll do your nails. I thought, okay, fine. Cool. <laughs> and, and then I drove straight there. Had an incredible week over Easter. And then drove back, straight back to Sydney. Went back to the beach. Uh, met her, hung out for a while. And then said, right, well, I've got to get on the plane now. So got on the plane, dropped the car off, flew back to England. And, and then, <laughs> then I went back to this truffle job and then stayed there until I said, March 2019. Um, but on the way back, on that flight back in 2018, that was the next big, big moment for me, probably the, the third big moment. And it, it was really weird. I was sitting on the plane, and we hadn't long took off from Sydney, and I was just thinking, I was thinking, how can I make this gardening thing work? Um, and then I was thinking about Confest, I was thinking about nails, I was thinking about, and, I, and it just suddenly hit me, hang on a minute, I could maybe do this nails or beauty thing as a business. And it was just like a wave that came over me, sitting on that plane, literally like just a, a, a shock wave that you get from like a sonic boom, <laughs> just going through you, just like a, a wave or like a cloud of like air or force that went through me <laughs> and, and went out the other side. And then after it was like just a, a weight off my shoulders, it was like a, a an amazing euphoric strange, exciting relief, but a deep inner calm. It was like weird. I thought, yes, I could try this. So, and then I was just, I couldn't stop smiling. I couldn't stop grinning. I was walking around the plane. The cabin crew thought I was nuts. Um, I was walking up and down and and, uh, and I thought, this is, I could, I could possibly do this. This is good. So anyway, I went back to this job in England, Truffle Factory. And then did some short courses on beauty courses. Um, by the way, no one knew about this. Because um, I thought there's still a big stigma attached to it, you know, particularly guys getting into this industry. So I thought, no, I'm just going to just do this in the background and see how it goes. So I did those courses and then. At the same time as that wave hit me, I knew where I wanted to do it. I thought, <laughs> I'd already been to Byron Bay a few times, and I thought, it's just a magical place. And I wanted to, I thought I could try this there, and I reckon it might go down well, because it's a open-minded, relaxed place. And there's no judgment, and I thought, right, that's, that's where I'm going to try it. So basically, I arrived back in the UK in April, May 2018, and then I just thought, right, work, 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 as much overtime as possible, save as much money as possible, so then in about nine months to a year, get back out to Australia and give this a proper go, and just see if it'll work. So I went over in March 2019. And got some Airbnbs the first few days. I went straight to Byron. 
I flew into Brisbane, down to the Gold Coast, and I got the bus to Brisbane, back to back bus tomorrow. And first few days we were in an Airbnb, and I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? And then I thought, I'm going to do something I've never ever done before. At the ripe old age of 41, <laughs> no, two, 42, I'm going to have my first night in a hostel. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I did my research and I thought, right, what are the most nice, interesting, sort of open-minded sort of hostels where I might be able to kind of try out my nail painting technique. So, and I, I saw the arts factory and I thought, oh, yes. like a, a real bit of old Byron there, because a lot of it was getting changed to more, you know, a little bit more mainstream. So I checked in, I remember this guy, he checked me in and I said, oh, the first time in a hostel, and he just smiled and nodded and he said, well, <laughs> you picked a good one, you picked an interesting mm. one. I love Arts Factory, one of my favourite hostels. Yeah. Love Byron Bay, but love Arts Factory. Yeah. And um, and I basically made more friends and had more amazing experiences and interactions in four weeks there than the previous four years in Australia. Wow. He stayed actually in my room. So, we were roommates. Yeah. So I I am. Um, so I thought, yeah, this is, um, I've got to stay here for a while. And I think it was probably uh, March 22nd, the first day I was there. I think it was the first night or the second night. I was just sort of chatting to people and I chatted to all my roommates, introduced myself. And, and I remember this, there was this particular girl in my room uh, with curly hair who I... Um, Introduced myself to her. I said, oh, hi there, and I'm Mark. And um, I said, oh, if you need your nails doing, let me know. And I said, no. <laughs> and that was Hannah. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think we had a little chat, and then I think, I don't know, I wish she was going out or something. And, then, and I think that was... Pretty much it, and then I I met these other guys. We formed this big group gang at the hostel, and this guy from England, and this other guy from Canada, and this other amazing guy who went to um, Conscript Confest with that year, and a few people. And I just did loads of treatments there, just randomly, and it was received well, and it went well. I didn't really charge much. I just you know ten bucks or something, or buy me lunch, or buy me a drink. And, and I thought, hey, this this does work. This does work. Um, mm. Whether it's a living, I'm not sure, but it does work. And and it was just so empowering, and it was just brilliant. And um, and a great way to meet people as well. It's just such a good icebreaker, you know. I remember some I was approaching these girls, and oh, I was chatting, so would you like your nails done? And these and I was, and I was, they said, yeah, yeah. And I was sitting down and starting to do their nails, and these guys were like walking past and thinking. Wow. But I wasn't it wasn't that wasn't my main intention, believe it or not, to like yeah, know, yeah. to meet girls through doing it. It was it was obviously I was aware that, you know, you can introduce 
you're going to get to know people, so you know it, it can obviously lead to more. But I still, it was it was just like just the basic fun of socialising and the way of mm. doing it in that environment, which I'd never done before in a hostel. So it was just so refreshing, so new. And um, and then I was there about a, about a month, and then I. I left, I think, and I went to, I can't remember now, but I, I was, I said I've got a little house here, um, just for a little while, just like a month, and then I, but I was still popping back to the art factory and still getting in touch with these other people, and one day I was just randomly walking through Byron, and then, and I bumped into Hannah, just randomly, and um, and she like recognised me in my room, and I said, oh, hello, like, we just, Chatting and chatting, and um, yeah, that was the start of our friendship. We started chatting, and then mm-hmm. I did stuff in common. I think we went for a, a coffee and that, and um, yeah, and it was yeah, that was that was kind of the next sort of phase, just coming in, coming in there, and, I, and then I went back to England in May, um, having made lots of friends and contacts, and then. And then it must have been about. Uh, I was I went back to that chocolate factory because it was a temp job. They had to literally start me again from fresh, but they were happy to do that because by then I'd been there quite a while and I was getting quite good and I was one mm. of the fastest feeders loading the truffles onto the conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. So I finally mm. found something that I was quick at. So I was yeah. not slow <laughs> and everything else. And, mm. and um and actually didn't want me to leave and they said, oh, can, can you stay longer? And but I'd already. Decided then I'd I just went back for a few months, six months to save up some more money, and then I thought late in the year, maybe September, October, November, I'm going to go back out to Byron again, and this time I'm going to make more of a go of it. I'm going to take more equipment. I'm going to. I tested the waters before, experienced hostels. This time I'm going to do it more seriously, which I did. I came out in November 2019, November the 27th. Uh, I picked different. Good that you didn't wait it longer. Um, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just I, I had to I had to pick this time, and it worked out so well in the end. So, it sounds amazing. Yeah, so I went to this hostel, and it was a beautiful hostel, and I basically did the same, loads of treatments, but a lot more treatments, and it was I was partying as well, so I was like these groups of people, mm. like get chatting, have a meal outside, hostel would lay on. It was and then we just have a few drinks, and I say, oh, I'll do some nails, and someone else's nails. And then while I was doing the mani, manicure or the pedicure, give them a little massage as well, all part of the luxury, you know? Yeah. And, and they thought, wow, is there some people said, wow, that massage was amazing. I thought, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've discovered a, a little talent here I didn't know I had. So, okay. Then it got me thinking of it again. I said, well, I still really like doing the nails, but okay. Maybe I can give more luxury treatments now, including the massage and stuff like that. And mm. um, yeah, so and then it got to about February 2020. Had Christmas there, which was crazy and amazing. January I popped over to Adelaide to see some friends, um, and then came back in the February. Money was running a bit short. I thought I don't want to go back to England again. I want to stay here longer this time. Um, so 
my friends, my confess buddies in Melbourne had told me about this guy in the area that did some woofing. So I thought, I'm going to try something else new. Woofing. <laughs> What's woofing? So, um, it's basically that you. Organic farms. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you put in so many hours a day, four or five hours a day. So that sounds so naughty, willing workers. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry. And so, some some were more willing than others. Um, <laughs> but I, I managed to get in contact with this guy, and he just said, "Yeah, come out and have a look round, see what you think." Um, and unfortunately. Um, one of the confess guys that told me about it, it was a clothing optical place as well, which is good. Um, all organic farm, a few cows. And so I thought, well, I'll just stay there a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks, just to kind of stabilize my finances a bit and just do something, try something different, mm. which was great. And then I was looking at maybe popping over to New Zealand for a little visit. Nice. Love like. New Zealand as well. Mm. And um, I'd heard only good reports about it, so I thought I'd have a look to try that. And I was getting inquisitive about barley as well. Um, so I thought like you'd like barley. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have told me, a couple of people I met at the hospital said, I, I reckon you'd like barley doing these kind of treatments, like mm. treatments, so kind of, mm, so I thought, yeah, I'd like to try that. And it got to sort of late February, and I went to Adelaide again, see some friends, came back, um, I was working on this farm. Then I did the World Naked Bike Ride, which is just <laughs> mind-blowing, in Byron Bay. Uh, which, that was just fantastic. Just another massive highlight of my life, which was good. And then got, um, got back onto this farm, and I thought, well, give it a couple of weeks. And then suddenly, coronavirus pandemic happened. Woo! It felt so unsettling and terrifying and out of control. I just, it, it kind of, I saw these reports coming through from Italy and America, and, and it, suddenly I just realised this is not something that's confined to just China and like the yeah. thing. This, this is, this is really scary. And it just hit me one day, and I was literally working, digging out on this farm, and it just hit me like a wall, and I was just shaking. And I prayed and I said, look hope we all survive and this is not going to be mm. another black death yeah. from, the 14th from the 14th century and and yeah, I just prayed that it didn't and then as soon as I did that a yellow butterfly landed on my hand as I was working continuously and it flew off and then came back and it flew off and came back about five or six times and I thought okay maybe that's a sign that it's going to be okay because it's a light bright colour yeah. it's going to be bright and light and um. And then I ended up staying there three months <laughs> because it was a lovely, because it was a perfect place to lock down because it was miles from anywhere. It was, yeah. it was halfway between Nimbin and Bismore and it was just, you never saw anyone. It was completely isolated. So it was the perfect time to be in a remote location. Yeah, I literally. So I, I felt so lucky and so blessed. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, I stayed there till the end of May, my birthday and then. And then moved to Byron once the kind of all the cases had disappeared. I mean, there wasn't many cases; there were only a few in the area, a handful. Mm. And it was deemed safe, and things were opening up in Byron. I'd heard, and I thought, right, well, I'm gonna. This is the time to move back to Byron and resume my 
new career, you know, giving him his treatment. So, um, got this house share uh, where, I, where I still am. And then I started looking around ways of maybe doing my own business freelance. Because I now I had a base, I had a home. Um, and, but I was still half looking for opportunities to get some experience in the industry as well. And then I saw this ad on Gumtree, this lady starting up her brand new vegan salon in Byron. Okay. So I thought, oh, that's a nice twist. Mm. Um, and so I went along for an interview, quite well. And she said, well, what do you think your best strengths? And I said, well, really interested in doing the nails. I've done some short courses. I want to get, I've done some on my own for like a off and on for two or three years now, just by on my own. So I'm getting better at the technique. Um, and I said, yeah, I enjoy it. But uh, I said, to be honest, I've had the best feedback from my massage treatments. Like when I've done the hand massage work or foot massage, like as part of the treatment. And, and I said, to be honest, I find that the easiest and the most instinctive and the most mm. natural and yeah, and I can do it quicker as well. And just so, and she said, okay, I'll bear that in mind. So anyway, she gave me the, the job and along with these three or five girls and we got started. And she said, well, um, just stepping back a bit as, as part of my journey, I'd already done a reflexology course in Sydney when I lived there after I'd left this electronics job and when I was thinking about the gardening thing I was thinking right I could maybe do as well as beauty I could do natural therapies I couldn't afford a massage course at the time because it was thousands of dollars and mm. my money was running short so I thought what's the cheapest course I can do and I was looking and I thought well Reiki's cheap reflexology's cheap all the others were like over 5k and I thought I just can't afford that but I want to get started I want to do something mm. so, I, so I picked that and it was a great little college I went to my tutor was great from Austria um, and it was like about a three-month course did it mm. finished it I thought well that's a start you know I've now I've started into this natural therapies stroke beauty I still was like more hooked on the beauty side but I thought well I'll do this at least and then I can maybe put them together but then once I'd Fast forward two years and I've got this job in Byron. She said, well, I'm actually thinking of offering some massage and natural therapies as treatments as well as nails. Because I don't just want it to be a nail bar. I want it to be yeah. like a, proper, a little mini spa. So I thought, oh, okay. Well, this, that gives me a few more options. We yeah, definitely. In case, one in case I'm not so good at one, at least I could fall back on something <laughs> else that I might be better at. So she said, well, I'll start you off just doing the massage and the reflexology and see, and see how you get on there. As you've got the certificate already and you've had some good feedback, you said from other people, I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. And the feedback in the first few weeks was overwhelmingly good. Even Easy. from people that regularly had treatments. And I'd rich, literally only done the matter of a few hours practice, but I must have had some natural yeah. ability or touch Talent. yeah and and the customers seemed to like it a few came back the regulars I thought, wow i give the nails a go she gave me a trial on that and i could do it 
but not in the time frames that they needed for their particular treatment. So I was too slow. And I didn't want the pressure of learning and trying to get quicker. And there was a lot of things I felt that could go wrong with that. Um, and bearing in mind there's so many different tools, so many different chemicals used. Although it was all vegan, which was great, and there was none of that toxic smell you normally get when you go to an owl salon, which was a nice, re refreshing change. I thought, well, I'll... Um, and also, I think, I, I said to her at the interview, it'd be nice to get guys a little bit more into this as well and just break down some of these gender barriers. Mm. And, and she agreed. She said, yeah, I'd really like to open it up and get guys to try it more, maybe, and... Um, if not nail colour, at least just having manis, pedis, even if there's no polish or and just natural therapies and stuff, and 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 even kids as well. You know, she's like we get families come in with a little kid, and they have theirs done as well, so they don't feel left out, which is really good. Just broaden broaden the customer base, which I think is really good. So yeah, um, I'm still working there. Um, been there just coming up for nine months next week towards the end of last year i thought okay as i seem to be getting really good feedback from this massage side of it maybe i should actually just completely drop the beauty side and go full ahead with the massage and natural therapy side yeah so i was looking around at any courses in the area and i found fortunately right in byron at the community college, they offered an introduction to massage course. Oh, amazing. Um, which was affordable and nice and cheap, and just a little eight-week course. So I thought, yeah, I'll definitely sign up for that. And that will just prove to me 100% whether it's really what I want to do before committing to maybe a one- or two-year course. So it sounds like you've been on a real transformational journey from beginning to end. When you think you're working, doing like welding and, and stuff like that for like military vehicles, and you've gone from a real corporate side on like an industrial level um, yep. to like really traveling over. It's quite an amazing transition. And when you think it all, st it seems like this sort of stems a bit from going to America when you were young. And it, like when you look at it that way, like you've gone on a trip to America, seen that. And then it's such a wild, wild journey. It's so, so interesting to listen to it, like all in like a linear. It's actually really nice, yeah. really beautiful yeah. journey. It's just mad in a way isn't it yeah. it's just such like how yeah. Yeah. things that you would yeah. never expect to put together um, yeah, if someone would have said 10 or 20 years ago all these different stages and where you would end up I'd have never in a million years believed them I'd have said mm. they were just they were just tripping on something they were just like <laughs> <laughs> it just, just, it's impossible it was just like nah you must be talking about someone else I'd say to mm. you know but um, now I just see the world through different eyes. Since yeah. I, I, call, I call it like a cultural epiphany. It's just when I go back to England now and see some people that I haven't seen since before that kind of new era. Yeah. Which is sort of the last sort of four or five years. It's almost like I'm watching a film. <laughs> I can relate to them. I can hear them. And I still remember all the things that I did in that life when I was like living in the UK. But it's like I'm watching it through glass, like I'm watching a film. Mm. Like it's 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 real, but at the same time, I'm kind of I've moved on so much myself that it's like I'm kind of looking back in time and for sure, kind of 
and kind of in a way some people that um, want to move on but haven't, I feel sorry for them. Because mm. mm. you only s- takes that you know, leap of faith and that one little jump and when, once I went outside my comfort zone, that's when the best things happened and it just it spurred on to sure. one thing, led me to another, then sent me down another meandering crazy road that then connected up further down and led me on to something else and it was such a co- unusual journey where I thought I was going to do two other careers in the middle before I even found the one I wanted. Um, but and I it sounds it sounds like you definitely recommend recommend it to anyone so if anyone is thinking of yeah. just doing something else. Um, yeah and it's not too late because it didn't start for me, this journey didn't even start until 39 and I know people who are a lot older than that and that, mm. I didn't realise what they really wanted to do until they were in their 50s or even later and um, and there is there is still time so these people out there that are younger than me and you know fed up and sitting somewhere in the world many in England that I know that are considerably younger than me and so I'm too old to do that I can't change now it is possible well I can. think yeah I think there's such an important message because like life has like not deadlines or whatever when you need to get married when you need to find your right path of career whatsoever and what i really uh, enjoy about you or about your personality in this thing it's like your biggest strength is that you are not even afraid to go over the stigma that a man cannot paint nails or do like reflexology and that is like not normal because it's like something that is still in a hat of a lot of people you know that we often or not we but like in general people just don't accept a person the way a person just is and just like if they how they feel and whatsoever and I feel like you're such a good example and for younger generations maybe as well or also for older generations just like it's never too late to actually figure out what you're really passionate about and to follow yeah. your dream and make it yeah come true and this is like such an important message i think Mm. because i feel like so many people are just like so unhappy and are too afraid Mm. to get out of their comfort zone but like you said this is actually where change happens and when like very things will happen to your life and it doesn't matter if it's painting or nail painting or whatsoever if that's your dream it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man just go for it and live your dream and i i love that you're such a good example for other people to just do and go for it so you can still you can still be respectful and not kind of rebel and just break out and say i don't care about anyone i'm doing it anyway you can yeah. you can still do it but still do it in a, a graceful way and um yeah now now i know it's definitely what i want to do this the massage side of it and i want to learn lots of different modalities and i've now enrolled on the full certificate for one year course I think I can bring something extra, and a lot of customers have said that your I felt your intention and your energy and your um, aura is right and good, and they felt safe, and that meant more to me than anything, to be honest. Yeah. Well, your dream is to open a spa at some point, right? Yeah. Going that'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that you'd be able to. Yeah do the next step and open up your own spa because you were talking a lot about it that that's actually like your dream you know and yeah. but music like you you already can picture it so if you can picture it it's going to be yeah. it's yeah. going to happen like you know you I remember you talking about the music that you want to play and like yeah. having just like this relaxing atmosphere so yeah. it's a good yeah. buy I think you're on the right path 
yeah, if it's not in Byron, it'll be um, it'll be somewhere in the world. Probably Australia, but who knows? Maybe even somewhere else. Even the outside chance yeah, it could be somewhere in in Europe or New Zealand who knows? Or, or, or Bali. I feel who like knows? could be anywhere. You know? Bali, maybe. <laughs> who knows? Well, I feel like you just need to trust your pro the process, and um, I guess like if you learned anything from the past years, it's just like to maybe see the signs of the universe, you know? Because, like, yeah. in general, it's been said that things will happen to you um, or that you will always face the same challenges until you realize what you needed to learn from it. And that was probably the same with your job when you were an electrician. Yeah. And yeah. now you just, I know, you feel that you're on the right path and just continue yeah. it and believe in yourself because I feel like... Yeah. I mean, you did reflexology on me and my friends as well, and it was amazing. And I, I think yeah, just like it's never too late to find out what you're really passionate about and just stick to your dream that you want to open a spot one day. Because then I think it would definitely happen. Yeah, I think it's. Because um, I don't see why it shouldn't. I think also I've found that throughout this, um, certainly since I've worked more in these natural therapies the last couple of years I've I've felt much more in tune now to people's energies so if I feel a good or a bad energy I'm much much more receptive to that very quickly um, which I think has been brought about by doing these treatments because I've been able to tap mm. into people's energies so my body's got used to these energy exchanges which is invisible but you can just feel it you know like you get that feeling and and, I, and because I've been doing that without realizing in the early days, now I'm much more receptive with people's energies, whether it's good or bad, very early when I, when I meet them, which is good because it's a great protection mechanism. It's helped me to, can help yeah. me to, you know, in, in life and, um, and to trust my gut instinct, which I've found yeah. cer certainly in the last five years, 95% of the time has been spot on. <laughs> yeah so i think we need all to go back on just basically trusting our instincts you know because we yeah. kind of got away from them with all of the things that are happening in the world and just being focused on having the career finding a job yeah. i don't know building a house getting married children like what society thinks where you should go or whatsoever and then not listening to what maybe you actually want you know on fulfilling your destiny and mm -hmm. we should all go more back into the spirituality path and just like trust ourselves well thank you very much for coming on to the show mark it's been amazing having you on it i'm sure that our viewers will agree it's an inspirational journey and i hope that everyone's taken a lot away from this today thanks so much guys for letting me tell my story about my uh changing career and life particularly in Australia um, yeah, it's been really <laughs> nice nice of you to give me the time nice to meet you both and um, yeah hopefully for all it was very the interesting world, the, the world opens up mm, one day it's amazing you can come out and uh, visit <laughs> yeah, absolutely sure. absolutely and it will one day it's just soon hopefully because it needs to be soon before I lose my mind entirely <laughs> <laughs> and that is going to be the end of our episode today ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening this is the plan why podcast my name is taryn my name is hannah my name's mark and we will see you next time
We love you. <laughs>